Well, good morning, New Life East. It's good to see you. I have missed you. Go ahead and keep standing. Those of it, let's stand up and let's confess our faith together. Oh, we have gathered as the family of Jesus, the house that Jesus built. And so let's confess our faith together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He is spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen and amen. Jesus, this is our hope. We've come together once again as your church, and we say, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so we ask that you would speak that word into us this morning by the power of your spirit. Come and speak to us. We need, we don't need clever words. We don't need gimmicks. We don't need a TED talk. We need a life spoken into us that can raise the dead. And so... Do it for the preacher and do it for the hearer. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And we pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Guys can be seated. I'm really glad to be back with you. It's good to see all of you back in New Life East. See the bear again. There he is. There she is. I don't know. It might be a mother. It might be a grizzly mama. So, um, but go ahead and turn in your Bibles, load it up on your phones. We're at, uh, landing the plane on Galatians today. Galatians chapter six, and it's one of my favorite endings to like any book of the Bible. And so I hope to share that with you this morning. Galatians six, we'll start in verse 11. Hear Paul's ending. See with what large letters, excuse, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of the Messiah. 
That's what Christ means. For, um, for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, the Torah, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Verse 17, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. This is the word of the Lord, and all God's people said, thanks be to God. That's how Galatians end. It ends, and I can think of very few um, books of the Bible that I find more compelling in their ending than this one, because verse 17, verse 17 especially feels like a mic drop moment, and I hope you're going to feel the power of it in about 15 or 20 minutes or so. But before we get to dropping mics, we need to talk about handwriting and plastic surgery, and then we'll get to mic drop. So handwriting... This is where we're going today, handwriting, plastic surgery, and then we'll have a mic drop. And, but first, we need to start, start and talk about handwriting. Well, we, we have to talk about it because it's in the text, because that's what Paul's talking about here. So that's why we're talking about it. I'm dating myself here, but um, when I was in school, there was something called penmanship that was still taught. Does anyone remember penmanship? Yeah. <laughs> it was this time of day, for those of you who don't know, it was this time of day where we took out actual physical pieces of paper and had a pen, usually, and we worked really hard on making all of our letters look good. We practiced something called cursive. Do you guys remember cursive? Like, though, for those of you who might not know, cursive is not what you do when someone cuts you off on the interstate suddenly, or when you're stuck behind that person in the left lane and it's like they're only going like 40 miles an hour. That's called cursing. And that's a different sermon uh, for, for those of you out there who curse, cursing, uh, I mean cursive, um, Freudian slip there. I don't know what that tells you about me. Anyway, cursive, of course, is how you could write quickly before the age of computers and keyboards and typing. It's how you could string letters together without picking up your pen or your, your pencil or your quill or whatever. And some of us were terrible at it, weren't we? Cursive. Like, we're, we curse cursive. Does it, did anyone just hate cursive, like, growing up? You're just like, what on earth? Like, did they, does anyone in the room, while we're having confessions, does anyone hate their handwriting in general? It's like, Print cursive. I'm just like, despite, like, I'm glad that they invented Times New Roman. It's like amazing. Um, does anyone miss the days of handwriting? Like, that you wish that, yeah, yeah, there's something analog about it, and we wish that there was a little more of it. Well, I bring up the topic of handwriting, of course, because the text does. Uh, verse 11, uh, Paul says, it's a strange way of ending the book, isn't it? It's suddenly, these things in the Bible that we're like, What's that there for? See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. And so 
Paul has, he's composed a lengthy letter. I know it's kind of short compared to other New Testament books, but it's actually really long compared to the standards of letter writing in the ancient world. Paul has composed an incredibly lengthy, emotionally charged letter talking about how Israel's Messiah, long awaited, has finally arrived to liberate, verse 6 of chapter 1, to liberate humanity from the present evil age, and then here at the end of the letter, to draw us into new creation. That's what this letter's been about, that Israel's Messiah liberates us, sets us free, justifying us, including us in his family, and filling us with his very own life. Not, and it's not because we were born into the right group of people, by ethnicity. It's not because we follow Israel's law or Israel's Torah. It's, it, it actually has nothing to do what, with what we do. I have good news for you this morning. Would you like some? It, uh, there is absolutely nothing that any of us can ever do, religious or otherwise, to get God on our side. You can't do it. There's not to, or to save ourselves from sin or death or evil. There's nothing that any of us can do. In short, Paul's entire letter has been saying that God already loves us. Jesus reveals that God always loves us. He reveals that God is saving us. These are already true realities that we are invited to believe, to just believe that they're true. Um, all we can ever do, you, if, you feel, if you've wandered in here and you feel like, man, I haven't done a lot for God this week, just all you can ever do is trust that you are endlessly, always, already loved by God and that he is saving you. Or to use Paul's language from chapter 2, it's by faith alone that we're justified. It's by that we're included in the family, that we're saved. Um, Paul has composed a lengthy letter, but now, here in verse 11, Paul takes up the quill himself and starts writing with his own hand. Because up to this point, he's almost certainly used, um, been relying on and using a professional letter writer because that's what you did in the ancient, a scribe is what they're called. Most of us, just to name the obvious, most of us take um, paper for granted in the 21st century, like just something that I don't know where it comes from, you know, it just comes, it's like it grows on trees or something, um, like it, or like, and then somehow arrives at Walmart or Office Depot or just on our doorstep practically with, with Amazon. Anyway, but similar to the way that most of us wouldn't go messing around with sheets of glass. You know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't mess, because they're expensive. They're hard, they're hard to get, they can break. Um, it's better to just let a professional handle them. Um, sheets of papyrus were expensive and hard to get and break. Sometimes the government even controlled how much, pay, like who got the paper, you know? They're, and it's best to let 
professionals handle them. Uh, you know, the people who can write really neatly and small and compact and make every square centimeter of it, you know, of the parchment matter. Um, this actually is at the University of Michigan. Uh, let's nerd out for two, two minutes. Uh, this is actually at the U University of Michigan. It is a document from July 24th, 44. What? It's, and it survives, and it was in, from Egypt, and I've turned it on its side. The top is actually on the left-hand side over there. Um, and I know it's hard to see in the back, I, forgive me, um, is the best, best I could do, but we have to look at it. And notice how the, the letter, this, oh, by the way, this is actually a, um, a formal contract between family members, is actually what it is, clarifying some inheritance issues, like who gets what. Um, and uh, it, the ha about halfway down, the handwriting shifts. The scribe, who's been writing neatly and compactly, um, stops and he hands the quill over to one of the family members uh, involved in this contract, a 39-year-old named Polodevkis. <laughs> the nerds rule! Like, they're, anyway, he, he picks up a quill, Polodevkis does, and he writes in his own hand, affirming all of this. And he's obviously not as good as the scribe, is he? Like, and evidently, the nerds tell us that he made 17 spelling and grammar errors in that bottom part of that with the big isn't that crazy like this is what's happening at the end of Galatians. Another scholar um, has actually gone to the trouble of rendering what this could have looked like in the first century. And th that, that's actually Galatians. And over on the right-hand side, you see the bigger letters, and that's actually the, the words of Galatians right there. Um, from verse 11 down, Paul is writing in his own hand. Uh, he does this at the end of Galatians and 1 Corinthians and 2 Thessalonians and Colossians as well. But each of those is just like a one or two sentences or so. Galatians is the, the longest by far. And so here, as the letter ends, he, like, somebody's reading it, and they could, like, people could visibly see the shift in handwriting, and he's drawing everyone's attention to it. Like, the letters are bigger and clumsier and more unsightly than all of the writing that has come before it. Um, some scholars, they draw attention to these large letters, and they, uh, they link it to something that Paul actually wrote earlier in the letter. In uh, chapter 4, he mentions the circumstances by which he met all of the Galatians. And uh, it's in chapter 4, verse 15, he makes the comment that he was struggling with some sort of physical infirmity when he met them, um, and that they would have plucked, verse 15 says, I can't read it, um, that they would, they, would, they would have plucked out their eyes, they would have gouged them out and given them to him if they could have. And so scholars take like, that's a weird thing for him to say, and they link it to other stories about Paul, that he was blinded on the road to Damascus, and something at one point like scales fell from his eyes, and that he struggles with some sort of thorn in the flesh, and they begin to think, there's something wrong with this man's eyes. There's something wrong with his sight. 
They're like, this man's legally blind. He can't read the letters. And so many of us in the room are legally blind, aren't we? That if we, like, if, if we had lived before the 13th century with the invention of corrective lenses, we would have just struggled through life like Paul. We've just been muddling through with terrible vision. And these scholars say it could be that Paul is writing really large letters because that's the part of the eye test that he can pass. You know, he has to, to see them. Um, some scholars disagree. They, you know, they go back and forth on these sorts of things. We can't be certain that that's what's going on with Paul, that it's his eyesight. But what we do know about Paul is that he is someone who multiple times has been beaten to within an inch of his life. He, uh, in, one, in another letter, it's just a couple pages before Galatians, actually, in my Bible. He, in ch- chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, he's describing his countless imprisonments. He says he had countless beatings. He's often been near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews, the four, th- that's his people, the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three, and not Colorado stoned, like rocks stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once wasn't a, a, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. Uh, have you seen Tom Hanks in Castaway after all this? It's like he's been uh, like on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, my, the, those people who aren't mine. Danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from all these other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Whether it's failing eyesight or something else, like just the results of a body that has been battered and beaten, and now he struggles with like his fine motor skills, you know, to like... Little things like forming letters are hard for him. Side note, this actually might make sense of why Paul ends up traveling with a physician, you know, at some point. Like he's got a doc, Lucas, Luke by name. He's got a doctor that he's mentioned three times in his letters that's traveling with him because he's in potentially such rough shape. And as he finishes this list of experiences, you know, he's Tom Hanks, you know, post the second half of the movie. He says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. And that seems actually to be the logic of what he's doing here at the end of Galatians in verse 11. Paul is pointing to the chicken scratch. You know, he's somebody who'd raise his hand and be like, I don't like my handwriting at this point. His unsightly handwriting, whether it's from failing eyes or from neuromuscular damage. And he's saying, I know that this handwriting is ugly, but I'm not trying to look good at this point. 
That's actually the logic of what takes him into into verse 12. He says, it is the influencers, the false teachers of Galatia. They're the ones who are trying to look good outwardly. Literally, the word is to have a good face. They're trying to make a good show of all things. Always be polished and never, you know. They want every outer appearance to be just right. And it's not enough for them to be obsessed with their own outward appearances. Do you, do you know anybody who's like this? Who, it's not enough that they look good, but when you're with them, they actually are start micromanaging the way that you look, the way that you're doing things. Um, it says that they desire to have you circumcised, which apparently can get said 27 times in a sermon, I've been told. You can, you can do it, that's amazing. <laughs> To have you circumcised that they may boast in whose flesh? In your flesh. They desire for you to be changed so that they can celebrate the win. The influencers in Galatia seem to be telling non-Jewish Jesus followers, listen, I know you were born in Crete. I get that. You're you're Cretan. (laughs) But listen, you're following a Jewish Messiah at this point, and you're reading the Jewish scriptures at this point, and you're worshiping the Jewish God at this point, and yet you're refusing to become Jewish. And if you keep doing this half-Jewish thing, um, you know, doing some things that are Jewish, but not other things, you're going to mess things up for everyone. Like, the Jews get exceptions from some laws. They're a, they're, they, they're a unique people, but we can't have like half-Jewish, like you're going to bring the, the wrath of Rome down on everyone who's Jewish, whether they follow Jesus or not. And so they're saying, they have the gall to say, they're that friend that, do us all a favor, will you? Just go get the surgery. You know, just, I mean, can you, kids, Colin will explain it to you later, but go get the surgery. Can you imagine the gall of someone with a business card? Here's the business card of a decent plastic surgeon. It'll really help me out if you'll go get yourself taken care of. (laughs) You're the one, you're the one who needs to change. You're the one who needs to change. The false teachers say, I'm so concerned about me that I'm willing for you to hurt. No, it's going to be painful for you, but that's the price I'm willing to pay. I'm willing for you to hurt because I'm so concerned about me. We want you to have this surgery so that we won't be persecuted, so that we'll be comfortable. I, I need you to be uncomfortable so that I can be okay. The world will be better when you change. And by finishing the letter with the chicken scratch that he is, Paul is saying something in a visible form that everyone can see. He's saying something that's like totally the opposite of this. Paul is saying, I am so concerned about you that I am willing for me to hurt. I will bear, I have been, I will bear what is hard because it means your healing. It's not what I would choose, but I will be uncomfortable so that you can be okay. I am bearing the pain. I'm bearing the persecution so that you can know how endlessly loved you are by the God of the universe who has made himself known in his Messiah. I will be uncomfortable so that you can be okay. 
Maybe at this point he like tries to shake the tingles and the neuropathy, you know, out of, out of his trembling hand because the hand just hasn't been right since his second shipwreck. But he just keeps writing in verse 15 and he says, if you are looking for the marks of circumcision or uncircumcision, you're missing the point. Those aren't the marks that matter. He shakes out his hand one more time and then he gets ready for the for the mic drop. It's ready for the mic drop. He says, no one should give me grief about this because I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. He's scratching out like ugly handwriting that they're going to see. It's going to be a visible like indicator of all he has gone through. And he's like saying, if you think these scribbles look rough, you should See the rest of my body. Those influencers there in Galatia, I know they're obsessed with marks on the body, but I've got some marks on my body. And they're unsightly. Like, things aren't working the way they used to. I, they don't feel special or sacred. They feel disabling. But they're the kind of scars that Jesus has. Like new creation scars is what they are. He calls them the marks of Jesus. And unlike the influencers handing a card here, here, I want you to have some plastic surgery. Paul is saying, I have sought your good even though it has cost me. Even when it's cost me, I've been thinking about you in all of this. And I have done that. Hear me, because this is the gospel. I have done that because that is what God is like. That Paul is only echoing something that he's heard God say himself. Because it's God is the one who's saying, I am so concerned about you that I am willing for me to hurt. That, that far from like lording his godship over us, hear the good news, brothers and sisters. God, John, at the end of the Bible, is brought into the center of heaven. And he looks, and in the middle of heaven, there is a lamb standing as though slain. Love willing to bleed for others is what orders and rules the universe. And that's the only thing that Paul says he's going to celebrate. It's the only thing I'm going to boast about is what he says here. He forms it here in verse 14, the cross. That is what I will boast about. His soul and his spirit and his imagination have been so captured by the lamb slaughtered those slain, love willing to bleed for others that he has started like living. We have this is the there was a man in history and he was so captured by this that he started doing it himself. He started doing it. He ends Galatians with big ugly letters that cut through, cut through all the crap, cut through the like complicated situation, cut through all of like even modern complicated arguments about theology and justification and what does this mean? And he says, there is only one thing that matters and it is the one sure mark of new creation. The mark of resurrection life is someone who's willing to say, 
and does say, I will carry this cross for your good. That's what you should be looking for. Look for that mark. Good golly, as I was preparing this sermon, I was just like struck with the fact that like this world needs, our city needs, our state needs more people like this. We need more people like this. This is what we, as New Life, all of the congregation, we're invited to be this for the sake of the... This is what... And it's not a bad thing. It's like what real life is. This is, oh, it's the best kind of life. It's love. Love willing to bleed for our neighbors. Love willing to... Love willing to bleed for our enemies is the revolution of Jesus. Our world, our city, our state, we're so busy fighting the modern circumcision debate of liberal or conservative or right or left or Democrat or Republican or mask mandates or freedom faces or like, while we are all busy fighting God, God serving the world endlessly with love and patience and And I'm the first, I'm guilty of joining the false teacher's thinking, of thinking, man, the world would change for the better if they would just change, if they would just get on the program. Man, and man, this righteous cause that I believe in, you know, this is worth fighting for. It's worth making enemies for right here. Like, even if, even if it means holiday season coming up, like, you know, we're going to end up having to turn some family into enemies here, you know. I'm not willing to let go of this thing because it is, this is the righteous cause. And while I am busy digging my trenches to try to win the argument and beat my enemies, God himself is in no man's land absorbing all the blows from all sides while I am obsessing over, while we are obsessing over the marks of being a conservative or the marks of being a progressive. God is looking for a people who are willing to bear the marks of Jesus. God and Paul and an army of saints that have gone before us have chosen love again and again and again. Carrying crosses, sometimes suffering shipwreck, but eventually turning enemies into family is what they've done. And they whisper to us, It's still possible. It's still possible. That is where life is. That is where freedom is. I have never regretted, I've thought about this, I've never regretted the conversations, the relationships, the moments of tension where where I've said, where the where the spirit has stirred in me and I have listened and I have yielded um, that I, and said, you know what? Emotions are high, there's tension, there's disagreement, but I am going to carry this cross for us right now, for, for you, right? I've never regretted it. Most my regrets are the moments when I've tried to nail people to crosses. It takes two to argue. <laughs> it, it only takes one to carry a cross. And that's true for, um, for parenting, 
last night we were on our way to uh, we were on our way to a fall festival that started at four, and uh, we got the uh, we got the time wrong. It ended at four. <laughs> So they were, they've been talking, our girls are five and four, they've been talking about the bouncy house and it was being rolled up and the pony rides was, the pony was being escorted away. It was so sad. And then I, uh, so we uh, sat in a parking lot for about 25 minutes. This is my wife, Joy, by the way. She's awesome. She's a rock star. Yay for Joy! Um, We sat there trying to... um, figure out how, because they are hurting. My girls are hurting so badly in the back. Of course, the pony just walked away. And so we, we ended up finding one that was about a 25-minute drive or so, and we went to it, and I am, uh, it's actually what's called a highly sensitive person. Those with ears to hear will know. But like, I'm, like uh, things, loud noises, situations, lots of conversation, it can overwhelm me, and that's all this was last night. And by the end of the night, um, my girls had played games, and they had uh, they had a thing of candy, and they were beaming and sell. And we'd got to go on a hike, and it was awesome. Um, but I was like exhausted. I had absorbed all of this, um, and I was really tired. Joy can tell you, <laughs> but like there was something within me that was like glad, a little bit. Like I was tired and hurting, but like it was for the sake of their healing that we that I had done it, and. That's parenting, that's marriage. Like every marriage in here is the the most beautiful Christ-like moments are when we say, I'm putting my weapons down and I'm going to bear a cross for you right now. This is friendship. And this life is what we're invited to bring into our public life, into our politics, into our work situations with that boss who just totally doesn't get it, who makes things difficult. We are invited to say with the spirit of God himself and with the chorus of saints that have gone before us, I will bear what is hard because it means your healing. I will, I will bear the marks of Jesus because it's from these scars that new creation flows. And so, the band, you can come on up. We're going to, uh, right now in this moment, we're going to do what we do regularly as the church and acknowledge that we don't do this well. We don't do this well. Very often, we're more interested in fighting the enemy than in watching the enemy become our family. And so I invite you to stand right now in this moment and join me, join me in talking to our Father who loves us endlessly. Join me in saying, most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart, We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And my friends, the gospel, the good news this morning is God is faithful and just. It's actually a just thing. There's justice in this moment.
of saying, I forgive you. I forgive you. And you know what? I'm going to fill you up with new life. And you are going to taste the kind of life that will not be defeated by death. You will taste my life. You will learn to love that person and make them family. And so, Jesus, we thank you that you count us as your family, that we are included, that you have suffered, borne the pain so that we could receive the gain. And so we ask that you would make us more like Jesus as we're about to sing. Make us more like Jesus. Fill us up with his life in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Let's respond in worship.
Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. To do that right now, would you give the Lord thanks in your spirit for his faithfulness, for his kindness to you, for the joy that was set before him that Jesus endured the cross. He considered it joy. What you hold in your hands is the representation of that, of his body. Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. Just hold the bread in your hands. I mean, giving thanks, just like we have done this morning. He broke it. You can break the bread. And said, this is my body, bruised and battered, which I give willingly and joyfully for you. Would you receive his gift? In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. And see, in the Old Testament, God made a covenant with Abraham. He said, all nations would be blessed through you. He said, but that's, that's the old covenant. This is a new one that says you are forgiven. When I look at you, I see my son and the blood that was shed for you. That's what this cup represents. Would you receive this cup with thankfulness? Thank you, Jesus. And now we respond just in an attitude of worship. Would you sing the doxology together? Family, would you hold your hands out like this to receive the benediction? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you. May he turn his countenance to you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. Thank you so much. The altar ministry will be here at the front. If you need prayer for anything, if you brought your offering gift with you this morning, you can put it in the box by the door on your way out. We're so thankful that you chose to spend your morning with us. Go in peace. We'll see you next weekend.